1: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
2: You are tuned in to another edition of Americana Music Profiles, brought to you by Americana Rhythm Music Magazine and AmericanaMusicMagazine.com. I'm your host, Greg Tutwiler. Let's jump right in to the next exciting interview. G.F. Morgan began his musical career In 1963, playing folk music. The Pennsylvania native says he followed the music and in 1974 moved to Northern California. In 1975, he moved to Texas and in 1977, back to Pennsylvania. In 1988, he shifted his focus to Celtic music and helped form the band Renegade. Celtic has been his passion ever since. GF joins me today to talk about his new record, Driftwood and his musical journey from folk to Celtic music on this edition of Americana Music Profiles. Hello, G.F. Welcome to the podcast.
3: Thank you. It's good to be here.
2: Thanks for um, taking the time to speak with us today. I am looking forward to learning about what you've been up to. You've, you've kind of been at this for a little while, haven't you?
3: At this? Yes. <laughs> Quite a while. Y- yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, if, if I read correctly, you, you were... Uh in the folk music scene in the early sixties, is that right?
3: Uh yes. Uh I that's where I first started learning music on my own, uh by way of um watching other people play guitar and just picking up chords and finger styles and uh you know, songs. Songs were my favorite and I have a my friends all say I have incredible memory for songs and music. Yeah. Uh, I started learning at, at about the age of 10 years old. Okay.
2: So this was yeah. a, a childhood thing for you. Uh, did you have family influence?
3: I did. Well, I had. I, had, I started with piano uh, well, at, at about age five, classical piano, but I never got very far with it. Uh, my father was going to be a classical pianist, and he played every night. Um, he, the reason he didn't, uh, it was because of the Second World War. He went to the army. And okay. When he came out, he didn't have uh, he didn't have his edge anymore, and uh, he never was able to get it back again. I see. Wow. You know? So, so but there was a lot of music in the family. My mother uh, practiced guitar. She played. Uh, she played in a group of artist circles. One of whom was Carl Sandberg. Oh, cool. Yeah, I just, and I have um, a sister who's musical, um, and uh, yeah, so there was great deal of music in the family. So
2: you, you've settled into this uh, Celt, Celtic theme, but that wasn't what you started out in, is that right?
3: No, it's always been something that's been in my life. Uh, my father, I think when the Clancy brothers first came over from Ireland, my father brought up their albums. Okay. Uh, and I, I probably wore, uh, got played it so many times that the needle went straight on through to the other side. <laughs> uh, but, uh, so it's always been there for me. I've always loved uh, Celtic music, Scottish, Irish, Welsh. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's always been there. But no, I, I originally started playing. Uh, like every kid wanted to play rock and roll and be a star. right? <laughs> and then I realized that you had to go work <laughs> and, <laughs> and you actually had to work at this to be good. At yeah, it. yeah. So I decided that I would uh, move on and I I found an old John Duffy and the Country Gentleman album.
2: Oh, cool. Which, is,
3: of course, is bluegrass. Right. And I started okay. following that and learning. I heard the mandolin on that and I started I picked up an old mandolin, that secondhand mandolin, started learning that, and, uh, you know, kept right at it, and then I started hearing uh, Celtic music, uh, Boys of the Loch, the Chieftains, and switched over pretty quickly. I also did a stint as a sideman in in country-western music for a couple of different people when when I lived in Texas. Okay. But Celtic yeah. uh, has always been there. It's always been something that's uh, moved me very much emotionally.
2: Okay. I read where you had moved uh, around a bit into different musical communities. Was there a particular thing that that caused you to to move so much, or or just uh, restless spirit? I think,
3: I think I was just searching. Really, uh-huh. um, I was I was searching to uh, I was I tended to be drawn to areas where music was alive. And when I say alive, I mean people weren't just listening to it. People were taking it, making it their own through their interpretations or writing it. And it was active, not dormant or stagnant. Mm -hmm. So areas like Austin, Texas Mm -hmm. in the 70s, you know, with uh, Willie and... uh, Oh my word! How many stars came out of that? Right. Uh, yeah. So Austin was a great place to be. Um, Northern California was very, very fine as well because there was a lot of, you know, experimental music going on. People were open to new ideas. Um, so I yeah, and and uh, you know wherever the community has good music, I think there are good ideas flowing and world is growing <laughs> that's when, my way yeah.
2: <laughs> when did you lock into Celtic as your um, your present form of music when did you move from the, the rock to the folk I think you even maybe dabbled in some bluegrass when did Celtic kind of become your main style
3: Celtic really started to uh, open up for me in, in the early 1970s uh, and there was Several musicians whose work really kind of uh, opened that door,
1: mm-hmm.
3: uh, and Andy Irvine, Paul Brady, uh, being very much uh, important uh, in that, and uh, the Chieftains, of course. Mm-hmm. I began. I began to pick up the concertina at that point too, which I. Mm. I have no idea if I heard a Liam Clancy album on which there was a rendition of Lever Johnny Lever, which is, of course, a a sea shanty Mm -hmm. or sea ballad. And uh, I heard this instrument, and I thought, my goodness, how beautiful is that? And uh, I I happened to be in a local music store a couple of months later, and there was a concertina, and I thought, my word, that looks (laughs) just difficult (laughs) to play. 48 buttons. (laughs) But I went ahead and bought it, and uh, and, and taught myself how to play it. Okay. Um, and I'm not I'm not a, a, an amazing concertina player. I just uh, use it mostly to accompany vocal music. But I love the instrument. I love the way it works with the violin as well. Mm. And those two instruments, in conjunction with each other, create a very unique sound.
2: Have you been a songwriter the whole time?
3: Not really. I've, I've dabbled with it a little bit. I'm starting to become more of one now. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I never really liked what I wrote.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think we're all our own worst critic.
3: Yeah, we are. But, uh, you know, and then I, I started to rewrite things and look at things from a different perspective. And, and, uh, I was fortunate enough to study with a couple of really good guitar players over the last four or five years, and, uh, you know, they opened up a world of guitar playing that I hadn't even thought of before, Mm. which, Mm. you know, other alternate tunings and uh, alternate ways of looking at music. So uh, that made my songwriting, uh, it facilitated ideas for me, so things were able to come more to the forefront.
2: This is maybe more of a subjective question, but is it is it um, easier or harder uh, to write a Celtic song than it is to write a bluegrass or folk? I know they're kind of in the same family, but certainly the presentation is different.
3: Well, I don't know that it is. I think if you're writing, a, it depends what sort of a song you're writing. If you're writing a, a personal sort of song, sort of... Uh, I think it, I think it's a very good vehicle for that. I think you, you can uh, move easily within the uh, the ambiguity of Celtic music is that it seems to bridge between so many different genres. So I think that that could be easily, but now the ballad, uh, if you're writing a ballad, say uh, or something like, you know, the band played Waltz and Matilda or something like that, uh, it can be quite challenging. Mm. One of the challenging things I have found is between the is to come up some of these ballads that are time honored. Uh, coming up with new versions of them is particularly challenging,
2: mm, I'm
3: at... because so many people have the old versions in their in their head, and. Uh, and one case where, where a band actually did come up with a new version, which really was sensational, was uh, John Barleycorn by Traffic, hmm. which was I believe nineteen seventy one or seventy
1: two.
3: Hmm. Okay, an uh, amazing version. But the original the original ballad that people were singing before that had no, had a completely different melody and a chorus yeah, as well.
2: That's interesting. I, I, I guess yeah. it's public domain, so you can you can adjust or manipulate those as you feel led, right?
3: Pretty much, but you have to be careful because sometimes uh, other songwriters are writing in the the traditional vernacular and it's really easy to hear something and think, oh, that's well, been around hundreds of years <laughs> yeah. when in fact it was written five years ago. Right, that. okay,
2: yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah. So, so one has to tread carefully Yeah, and, and do diligent research on everything
2: we're going to pause for just a moment we'll be right back you are listening to americana music profiles brought to you by americana music magazine welcome back to the interview it's such a historic music with all kinds of um uh, backstory do you when you write and perform do you um do you get in character? Is that part of part of it? Do you do you um, look for a of sense is, of history when you sing and play?
3: I think you. I think you sort of. I think it's sort of an obligation. Okay. I think that most of the better, our uh, performers um, actually do that. Uh, they've gone in and they've looked at the time period uh, and, and realized what the emotional, the mental. Mindset of, of uh, possibly the uh, the person telling the story was um, I think that's that's an extremely important part of it. Mm-hmm. The emotion has to come through. I've always felt that you know in certain certain ballads, you know, you have to really understand what you're singing about. For instance, if you're singing about Sir John Franklin's expedition to find the Northwest Passage, you have to know what happened. Mm -hmm. It was a tragic, tragic uh, miscalculation on his part and a very, very um, sad fate to the Mm -hmm. whole extent. In order to know that, um, to just perform the song without knowing that, I think you miss so much yourself. Mm -hmm. I think when you understand the details then you can put the proper emotion and the proper yeah. emphasis behind certain things
2: that's interesting do you do you sing and interact with the crowd in uh, in that dialect as well
3: not often uh, sometimes in a joking manner I, I don't think it's nice to deceive people that you're okay one way yeah. and actually do another yeah I think that presents uh, a uh, an item of doubt in the listener's mind. However, uh-huh. if you want to, you, for sure, whether a fellow's from Scotland or not. You know, I mean, yeah, you can clown around with it. But yeah,
1: yeah.
3: But, you don't, I, you know, I don't take on a persona. Sometimes I'll find that a ballad that was written, say, in broad Scots, you have to sing it in broad Scots. Okay. Uh, or your best attempt at that. Um, the other one I have a great deal of difficulty is, is so many of the singers sing in their native languages now, mm. in, in Scots Gaelic or Irish Gaelic or Welsh. And yeah, I think you really have to know those languages before you try to sing like that.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. Um, do, do you...
3: It's so easy to go
2: wrong with Yeah, it. <laughs> yeah I can imagine. <laughs> do you have... Deeper family ties to to those parts of the country? Do you know, or the world?
3: Other parts of the world, yes, uh, yes. I actually uh, Welsh is fairly predominant, but there's also a good portion of Scots and Irish in me, as well as English, Danish, mm-hmm. Dutch, and French. Hmm. Uh, so, Northwestern Europe is mostly. <laughs> My 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 gene source. Yeah, you
2: know.
1: okay. <laughs>
3: other, other, other than Lee Wrangler. <laughs> That's my gene source.
2: So the the new record is um Driftwood and if if I'm reading correctly, this is your third record? Right?
3: It's the third one I've done. It's the first one I've done under my own name.
2: Okay. Okay.
3: Um, and uh, the other two that I did were first with a band called Renegade, and then that morphed into a group called Molly Hawks, which was fairly short-lived. Um, some of the players from Molly Hawks actually are on Driftwood. Nancy Brown and uh, Bayard Osthaus uh, were both in Molly Hawks. Um, but this one was done up in Maine uh just before the pandemic started,, mm, okay. I got started on the album, and my intention was to uh, while well, not being physically able to gather all the musicians uh in the same room uh to send out the parts and see what came back mm-hmm. and Then the pandemic hit, and I thought, oh my lord <laughs> right. i'm never gonna we're never gonna be able to sit down and play this together, yeah. You know, to get a feel of what each other are doing. Sure That's so important to musicians, to actually yeah. see and hear in person. So I, I sent out um, digital copies. My engineer sent them out, and uh, he, he did an amazing job, by the way, Steve Austin. Um, and uh, I just sat there and I shuddered because I thought I was gonna get, I'm going to get... And, and we didn't use... Um, We didn't use the uh, sound clicks on it, Mm. so I had no idea what was going to come back. Mm -hmm. And uh, one by one, they started coming back, and these friends of mine did such a wonderful job. Mm. Uh, It all synced up pretty close, close enough where we could fit it in. Mm Mm-hmm. I was very, very happy with the result. Hmm, um, that's cool. And I'm very, very pleased, and I'm co- very, very grateful to all of them for taking the time to do that.
2: How long has the finished product been out?
3: Uh, it's been out since, oh, I think, <laughs> just l- roughly December.
2: Okay, so just a couple months. Yeah. 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 Is your intention to to get these folks or a group of people together as a band and and tour this as soon as, as soon as the?
3: I would love to. Yeah. I would love to. I think you know, time will tell where we're all going to be with touring and with performing. I know every single one of those musicians that I've spoken with is raring. <laughs> At the starting gate. Oh yeah, out there. <laughs> we're and all so, waiting for that
2: green flag, man. I could, <laughs> yeah.
3: I know. I mean, it's just such an integral part of being a musician. I mean, you can play in your living room for your. I mean, I've been playing in my living room for my dog, who's you know, <laughs> a wonderful audience because he sits there and snores through the whole thing. <laughs> but yeah. so, you know, getting out and getting. Uh, you don't get any uh, feedback,
2: right? Um, right until yeah. you're out there, yeah.
3: And it's very hard for me. I mean, I have put some stuff online and put some stuff out there in the, you know, in the uh, the internet, and, and it's very hard to me to, to gauge mm-hmm. real emotion. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: I mean, people are complimentary and people love it. I've gotten good reviews on the album. Not the same as being there with the audience and yeah. really connected. Know that you've made a
2: difference. Yeah, in
3: someone's in yeah.
2: someone's life. We're missing that third dimension, and it's easy to get to get the digital stuff lost in the ethers um, because everybody's exactly. trying to reach an audience. And yeah, that 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 third dimensional piece, like you said, with with the live interaction, is critical for for the artist and the audience. I think
3: absolutely, absolutely, it's essential.
2: So have you been writing uh, in the... uh, Is there more to come? Do you you have something else on the way? There's
3: definitely more to come. Uh, I've I've rewritten several ballads with new music, uh, several traditional ballads, including the uh, ballad of Tam Lin. Uh, I've also written several original pieces, some instrumental Hmm. pieces. Uh, And I have some Old traditional sea songs, which I have ready to go, and uh, yeah. Also, the other ballad I did was um, "Rosemary Fair," which I think is the forerunner. It's what uh, the Simon and Garfunkel based. bass
2: oh, um, Yeah.
3: Scarborough Fair. Okay. There's numerous uh, versions out there. Rosemary Fair, I think, is an earlier version. It's one of those riddle songs where mm-hmm. there's two young pe- it's it's so typical of young people. There's two young people that obviously have an attraction to each other but they don't want to admit it. So they <laughs> <laughs> they set each other impossible tasks to perform. You wanna be my true lover, you have to go do this this and this and this. And, you know, and then the woman turns around to him and says, well, if you want to be my true love, then you're going to have to do this, 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 and this. <laughs> you know? And it's sort of like, well, I guess we're not going to be together. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's so great. Jeff,
3: oh, and, uh, you know, you look you look at uh, some of those very, very old, you know, some are four or 500 years old.
2: Yeah.
3: And uh, you see things that are true of humanity today. Right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, for instance, Cam Lynn, I think, I think, well, my version's a shortened version, but it starts off with the father telling his daughter, says, don't go to Carter Hall. Hmm. You know, It's like any father today would say, look, if you're going out driving with Billy, watch your you home by night. Yeah, on, right. And I don't want you going to the bar down the street. Yeah. So immediately, what does she do? She goes to Carter Hall. Right? She's like, can't wait to get there. <laughs> Right. So difficult, you know, and I think every parent can probably relate to that. Right. You, yeah, Your
1: absolutely. child,
3: don't do this. And that's the so first thing they go do. to.
1: <laughs> but,
3: uh, you know, and you get those themes that come up uh, again and again. To make those, to bring those up to date, I think, is is the challenge mm, mm-hmm. of, a, of a valid performer. Mm hmm to make a modern audience, because I think a lot of it fell into this very, very specialized esoteric folk study kind of way. And people just wanted to kind of get the get the modern notes on it
1: mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> uh, and continue on and enjoy the piece of music for what it was.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Hmm, so I try to
3: do that. Yeah. I'm not always successful, but
2: yeah. I try to do that. <laughs> that's cool. So the the record again is Driftwood and uh, Out Now, and hopefully people can uh, catch you live soon. What's the best way to communicate with you? Website? Um, where they, where can they get the CD? Uh,
3: my website is is, is a, there's a link to Bandcamp. Uh, if you go to Bandcamp and look for GF Morgan Driftwood, you will find it as well as uh, Molly Hawks' album is also on there. Uh if you go to uh Amazon Prize, you can order actual hard copies of the C D which has the research and everything in the booklet that okay. comes with it, okay. as well as all the lyrics. Um I believe I have the lyrics and I have a lot of the research up on Bandcamp as well, if you order the album through digitally through Bandcamp. Okay. To me,
2: there's nothing like having a hard copy. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know, I know, yeah. Uh, I, I think anybody over 40 probably still feels that way, but um, m- maybe they'll you come know. back, vinyls back, you know, maybe they'll come back, I don't know. <laughs> no,
3: well, you know, LPs have come back. Right, the yeah. Vinyls come back, yeah. Lord knows why. Yeah, <laughs> somebody, uh, playing there's, playing. A, there's
2: a nostalgia to it, and, and, and there's no time like the present to be nostalgic, because we certainly have some pretty pretty uh, disturbing and confusing Things to try to fumble through these days, so uh, maybe that's it's...
3: true. I just I just got my first vaccination today after trying a and truck trying, and trying. <laughs> so yeah, I'm lying in I'm lying in bed, kind of taking it easy. But uh, yeah, I mean I, my my, uh, my my engineer was saying, oh, you've got to do an LP on this album, and I was like, really. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> well,
2: I think the Celtic folk bluegrass kind of traditional yeah. style lends itself to needing a piece of vinyl. Maybe it just feels like it.
3: I agree. I think I'm going to do it in the in limited edition.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Cool.
3: Yeah. Yeah. You know, so that look for that in the future as well.
2: Well, thank you, Jeff. This has been fun. I appreciate you um, taking the time out of your rest (laughs) from your your shot to to chat with us. And uh, we wish you well with it. And I hope you can get out on the road soon.
3: Thank you. Thank you. I hope we're out there
2: soon. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of Americana Music Profiles. Find us on iTunes at Americana Music Profiles and on the Internet at
0: AmericanaRhythm.com.